0: I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, the Vice President of Media Strategy at Mission.org. And this is the show where twice a week, you'll get VIP access into the hearts and minds of some of the most influential marketers in the world. On Marketing Trends, we'll do two things. We'll go deep on a human level, and we'll go even deeper on the nitty gritty of what makes for the most successful marketers and strategies today. I'm glad you're here. Now let's get into it. At Chainlink Labs, Chief Marketing Officer Adeline Zoe embraces the complicated nature of marketing in the quickly evolving field of blockchain technology. She also leans into the idea that technology like blockchain can have a major impact on often forgotten parts of the world.
1: I think one thing being in a developed world you don't realize is that we take a lot of our legal system and our contracts for granted. We think that, of course, if I get into this contract and they don't pay me or they don't deliver, I can take them to court. But in a lot of parts of the world, you don't have that.
0: Chainlink Labs is on the forefront of developing ways to connect data in the outside world to the blockchain to solve a myriad of problems. What does that look like in practice? Well, basically Chainlink Labs is creating cross-chain communications, and by doing so, it is using cryptocurrency and blockchain to open up a better way for developing nations to do business. And where does Adeline come into the picture? And as she communicates about the potential of this technology and builds trust with developers, they move closer to fully realizing the good that can be accomplished in the world through Chainlink Labs. Learn more about the unique challenges of this new world of marketing on this episode of Marketing Trends. Enjoy! Hello, welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm your host, Jeremy Bergeron, and today we have a special guest, Adeline Zoe, Chief Marketing Officer for Chainlink Labs. Adeline, welcome to the show.
1: Excited to be here.
0: So excited to have you here. Every time I get the email that says, this is who you're having on the show, I immediately start searching, who is this person? What have they done? And if anyone Googles your name, which our audience inevitably does, they'll find that you've done some really cool things in this realm. And now coming from a lot of the traditional marketing stuff you've done at some pretty cool brands, you're now in this other kind of other space in the crypto space and and dealing with blockchain and attracting developers and all these things. And so I know today's conversation is gonna be really interesting, pulling on from what you've done in the past into if any of that's relevant to what you're doing now, I'm sure some of it is, but super honored and excited. And I know that things are moving super fast at Chainlink Labs. I'm personally very bullish on Chainlink. So this is one that I know will be uh, a memory for for me and, and the folks that pay attention to this space specifically. So thank you again, really, really honored. Likewise. So give us just the genesis for you of just marketing. How did it start for you? Like where did it first, that that itch get scratched for you? And like marketing is the world where you wanted to dive into that.
1: Yeah. I actually in college um, got really interested in behavioral economics. And I think I remember first taking my first economics course. And then there was this section about behavioral and how people aren't, don't always act rationally. And I realized this is super fascinating. Why do people act the way they do? Started going down that rabbit hole, worked with a professor um, on research in that space. And then after graduation, I, I went into a consulting firm and then My first um, marketing job was with an e-commerce startup called Quidsy and slash diapers.com that was very quickly acquired by Amazon. And that's when I realized like all my passion for (laughs) behavioral economics, like social psychology, it all kind of came into fruition into this field of marketing. And I was interested in why people make the choices they do, how they decide things. And it's really just marketing (laughs) in a way.
0: Because your background is unique in that you've done a little bit of everything in marketing, right? Product and growth, blockchain, et cetera. And so I'm curious as you were coming up through Amazon and Nextdoor and TopBats, was that by design?
1: No. I think for me, I'm always just finding whatever I I find interesting. Like what is the next big challenge? What is interesting? And I kind of just follow my curiosity. And so at that time when I first joined um, Amazon, it was like Quizzy was the hottest startup in New York City at that time. There were no like uh, e-commerce wasn't that big of a deal, and so I was like, "How does this work?" And that's when I really got my chops in PPC, like uh, you know, ad words and all of that stuff. Like that was even before the time of Facebook, and so really learned about you know the analytical side. And then another major part of marketing at Nextdoor was really growth marketing, and that's when I found it so fascinating. Like, how do you connect? marketing and product and design in this field of, to create viral loops in invitation flows or how to use a product to convert people in this marketing funnel. And so I joined there. And then personally, I, I've always been interested in emerging technologies. And so that's when I uh, got in really into machine learning, artificial intelligence at TopBots. And then soon thereafter, I uh, found my way to blockchain, another very uh, cutting-edge emerging tech.
0: So are you one of those marketers that likes to read marketing newsletters and kind of read up on what's, what's coming down the pipe, what's most innovative, reading Ad Age and Ad Week or blogs, et cetera? Are you in that world? Or we've talked to some CMOs that kind of play both sides, where some are like, I don't read anything, and I'm just you know building teams and campaigns and this and that. Other folks love to see what's on the cutting edge, and I'm curious where that lands with you.
1: I'm definitely on let's see what's on the cutting edge. But the places where I find cutting edge is really talking to other marketers at places that are doing the cutting edge. Um, I find that talking to practitioners is the best. Um, they'll be of the ones. By the time it comes out, sometimes I feel like in um, articles and stuff, it's already a little late. Uh, so you want to get the edge before it becomes very well known in public. So mm. I feel like uh, you should always be educating yourself you have to. Otherwise, within marketing, you're going to be behind. This is one of those spaces that moves so, so, so fast.
0: So you've you've worked mostly in the tech sector, blockchain and, and top bots. I'm curious, why did you gravitate towards marketing technology?
1: I think my favorite is creating playbooks and figuring out things where people don't quite know how to do it. So I would say marketing in machine learning and AI, like people weren't quite sure this is an entire new space. And then especially here in blockchain, it is it is a whole new world. It's like you have your marketing, like for us, we market to developers. We want developers to build um, blockchain applications using Chainlink. At the same time, you know, you have this wonderful, enthusiastic community who aren't developers, but how do you include them in the mission and in the vision of this more, you know, equal, fair world that we're all trying to build together with Boston Tech. And so I, I just find it really interesting. There are, there are no playbooks. Like, we're creating it as we speak. And for me, that's just, like, gets me excited to come to work every day.
0: Yeah, it's like this kind of white space where, you know, you're you're really, like, you are building the jet engine in mid-flight. It's like, it has to be, it's got to be done by someone. Why not you and your amazing team? So what are some of the biggest takeaways and learnings kind of from your prior endeavors? That you actually now lean on as CMO of Chainlink? Because what you're doing at Chainlink is so different than what you've done before in some ways. So, what has been kind of that progression? And what are some of the biggest takeaways and things that you lean on from where you've come from and now into this amazing role as CMO?
1: Exactly. Um, As CMO of Chainlink Labs, we're one of the main organizations that support the development of uh, Chainlink as a protocol and technology. I would say, there are so many, like the fundamental ability to look at metrics and understand brand and all that all come into play here. You might do things a little bit differently, right? You know, we didn't create a product marketing function until more recently, whereas a traditional SaaS company focused developers might have created it as one of the very first functions. Uh, so I would say uh, you take parts of your experience and you kind of Tweak it a little bit for the, the blockchain industry. And then they become little puzzle pieces that you fit to address like what you need at the certain time. Uh, even with you know Chainlink, we've grown so much. And when I first started working at Chainlink Labs, like what we needed was so different than what we are, you know, have grown to today. And so I pull from different parts of my background from the different sizes of companies I worked at, kind of what startup versus scaling companies need and what kind of functions that you build um, as a result.
0: Mm. So speaking of Chainlink Labs, you've been in the CMO role now there, I think for three years, right? Around three years. Yeah. Yeah. So can you tell us a little bit about like the role of CMO at Chainlink Labs? Like, What do you oversee, size of your team? And then maybe share some of the specific projects you're trying to accomplish currently.
1: Yeah, I mean, when I joined, I was the first and only marketer, actually. Uh, wow. So, yeah.
0: Team of one.
1: Team of one. That's where you start. Wow. And now we've grown. Um, we've we've gone through some massive growth this year. We're at like uh, 50 plus people, and my team includes. Traditional marketing functions, but also a lot of functions that most people don't think of in marketing. Uh, so, for example, I oversee communications, content, community, product marketing. But I also oversee developer relations, which includes all of our documentation, developer you know um, you developer experience, uh, developer programming, uh, and then I also oversee our design, which includes both visual design and product design. And many times, design, for example, is also not always in Product design is not always in marketing, so I've been very fortunate to have a team that you know runs um, many different functions, and they're all able to work together.
0: Wow! So you said so fifty plus on the marketing kind of comms is that fifty plus just on the the team that you oversee?
1: Yeah, and what I oversee, but I was just saying that historically, you know, some uh, many marketing teams are only comms and content and stuff, but right. because we're developer focused, you know, I have a whole team dedicated also into international and also to developer relations which is a very large and growing team because we focus on developers.
0: Wow, okay. Yeah. So you've got comms, you've got developer relations, you've got the, on the product side. That's a lot of bandwidth. And you talk, you know, there's companies that will come on the show and they're in fast growth mode just like you. And you touched on this a little bit before we we started here and I want to hear your thoughts about you know, hiring and growing the right team yeah. at the right time while keeping the culture of what you have at Chainlink Labs so close to the chest. And so it's so it's so critical to keep and maintain that culture. Mm-hmm. Talk us through that a little bit of, of hiring and growing a team and then keeping that culture as it should be as you grow to 50, 100, however more people you keep adding to the team.
1: Yeah. No, this is something we think about even from the highest levels, you know, from our, you know our executive team all the way down. is like, how do we maintain culture? Because that's what keeps it all together. Like people are the bedrock of what we do. I would say for us, I mean, when we hire, we hire for people who embody a lot of the characteristics that we look for. So it starts with this recruiting and screening. Um, And then we have a whole series of onboarding to make sure that everyone's clear about what our values are um, and what we What you know the expectations that we you know set, and I think a lot of it is just the people who've been on the team for a while. They just exemplify. So everyone who's on the team exemplifying these characteristics, and then you see them doing that, and that kind of trickles through. Like you know, we don't want to hire assholes. We don't want. We want to hire people who are helpful. We want to find people who take ownership. And when you see your colleagues, you know, next to you exhibiting all these things, you end up doing that as well. And the culture is that, you know, it's not, culture isn't ping pong tables. It's not that it's really how you get work done in the processes and the way that you collaborate.
0: Do you find that there's a, that there's a real thread of difference in the culture there? Cause you've worked at some amazing brands mm-hmm. and you, you could argue that those brands have some cool cultures as well. Yeah. Is there anything nuanced or otherwise specific about the culture at Chainlink that you're like, wow, this is, this is something that maybe you didn't experience before or a, a sh- different shade of you know, this type of culture that, that maybe is different or was it building on all the stuff you've came on before?
1: Um, Well, I think a lot of culture comes from the top and from the circle, like the founders. And I think a lot of it comes from Sergey who um, co-founded Chainlink. He really believes in, you know, ownership and focus. And these are things that I've really learned to embody as well. And I think they're so critical, especially in the type of industry that we are in. Um, I think some of the other organizations I've been at had some of these, but I wouldn't say to the extent that we do. Um, But I really think that, you know, these values have helped us get to where we are and move as quickly as we have in an industry that's so full of noise and distractions.
0: And growing even more noisy by the day sometimes, it seems like. Yeah. Are you involved in the hiring As well, like, are you involved in some of that at this stage in the company? I know early on you probably were, but even now you are.
1: No, no, absolutely. Every person uh, who joins my team, um, I talk to.
0: I love that. That's awesome. So there are going to probably be some listeners who aren't super familiar with the crypto space. There's certainly a bunch that are. But for the folks that are just maybe new and they've heard of Chainlink or Chainlink Labs, can you kind of give the high level overview of the company, how it works in the blockchain space, and then maybe where the company's at today? Because if you Google Chainlink, Chainlink Labs, you'll see some amazing things that have just happened recently, but give us kind of the high level.
1: Yeah. So Chainlink is a developer tool. Um, we help developers building applications on the blockchain connect their connect their applications to things outside of it. So whether that's you know data or computation or information or other existing systems. So what does that mean? It's like I think of us kind of as a bridge. For example, we're working with uh, some organizations in Africa to provide farmers with uh, parametric weather insurance. Basically. Farmers um, in a lot of both actually emerging and developed countries uh, don't have access to crop insurance. So, what we are working with uh, organizations like um, Arbol and Acre Africa is to allow farmers to buy weather insurance on a smart parametric weather insurance on a smart contract. And so, we feed in data, weather data from NOAA, the National Oceanographic Organization into the smart contract to say, hey, was the rainfall in this you know, square mile? I you have know, a certain rate. And if it isn't, then you know, a smart contract will automatically pay out to these farmers to help them you know, continue their livelihood. So what Chainlink does is it is that connectivity layer between the NOAA data and the smart contract and without it that information of weather information rainfall could not have entered the smart contract and so that is the role that we play in connecting the on-chain blockchain world with the off-chain like existing world that you and I live in
0: mm. and are you are you seeing all these new use cases i mean when it comes to it seems like there i saw alphabet weather and you know all these other stuff as well are you finding new use cases all the time with smart contracts and the and the use of blockchain yeah
1: Yeah, there are so many use cases. I mean, you see more and more, and I think over time, you see more and more of them come to fruition, right? People dreamed about a lot of these use cases years ago, but now you're starting to see actual, like farmers getting this insurance and you're actually, you're seeing, you know, DeFi come around, uh, you know, decentralized finance where people are actually getting, you know, interests and interest on their on their loans. It's like, it's really interesting that all this, that stuff that people talked about for years is really coming to fruition. Like I think DeFi has billions and billions of dollars, like 80, 90 billion. It changes every single day of value locked in it.
0: What are some of the areas that you've had to grow in as a marketing leader in this role?
1: One, understanding this crazy industry. (laughs) I think it's like, how do I keep abreast of everything that goes on? Um, it's There's so much going on. And uh, if you blink, the whole world will change in a minute in this space. Uh, so I think that's one. Uh, I think the other is marketing to developers. Like, How do you stay authentic and true and share your product with developers who are a very, very skeptical audience? Uh, so that's been something new. And then I would say third is yeah, just taking both marketing developers and in the space and just creating a whole playbook because there is there's not that many people to look at or anybody. It's like, we're not quite a traditional tech company. You know, we are open source. So how do you become open source? But we are community driven. So it's all these really interesting nuances.
0: Yeah, I want to unpack that a little bit because chain, you know, Chainlink has partnerships with, you know, everyone from the Fortune 100 to very kind of B2C community. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned this a couple of times now that, you know, Chainlink thinks of itself more B2D rather than B2C, this kind of business to developer, Mm -hmm. or even even B2D over B2B. So elaborate on that, what what that is for you, and maybe tell us a story about how that's working.
1: Yeah. So first, um, just a clarification is we don't have partnerships with all these. A lot of these are users. So there's certain like enterprise and stuff that we partner with, they, you know, use our technology or their node operators and things like that. But, uh, there is a conflation, I think, in the industry of everyone's a partner. Like we use you know, Google apps, but I would never, you know, like, I mean, if you use Microsoft Office, you would never say that you're like a partner <laughs> with Microsoft. So we have a lot of users who integrate with Chainlink. Um, and so I uh, just want to say we have tons of users. In, in that case, right, the people at these projects who decide which project or what tech Oracle technology they should use, um, they're usually the co-founders or the product managers or the developers, um, because these are usually technology focused smart contract applications. And so in that case, we market to these people at these smart contract applications for us. So that's why it's more B2D. At the same time, they are part of an organization, some smaller, some larger. And so it is a little bit like a B2B. And at the same time, they're also a lot of times community members too. So then it's like they're individuals. And so when you market developers, they're also consumers. So it's a bit B2C. So I think it's a mix of that. And we have different teams that I help um, speak the various languages. So we have a sales and BD team that is more B2B. We have a developer relations team that if you just want to talk about the the tech and the developer documentation and all experience, you can talk to them or you can join our community and learn about what Chainlink does in our telegram.
0: Hmm. One thing that Chainlink Labs loves to talk about is its community of users, mm-hmm. right? Marketers are constantly trying to leverage their power of users to really amplify the brand and the product. So how does Chainlink Labs think about community building and like, how are you leveraging your power users to bring in new developers?
1: Yeah, I would say it's a so there's two right. We have both our community of enthusiasts right who follow and love us and really support us that we're really really grateful for, and then we also have our community um, of users which we sometimes call our ecosystem. I think we really support them by sharing their stories right. We um, help them get onto podcasts. <laughs> We've helped them you know get news articles. Sometimes they come to us asking, hey, you know, do you have any recommendations for X, Y, Z or like, what do you think about this? And so we act kind of as an extension of many of these users' um, marketing teams, especially for the smaller projects, they might not have as you know, robust or experience of a marketing team yet. And so we help them. And at times I have actually even referred some people to them and they've actually joined their team. So I think it's just very synergistic.
0: Are there certain influencers like within the Chainlink community that you partner with, like to really amplify the brand?
1: Um, most of our um, community that you see might see on Twitter stuff—they're all just self-appointed as uh, community folks. They, they like they decide they love Chainlink and they shout it out it's rooftop. We do have a a formal program called the Chainlink Advocates Program, and these folks um, are all around the world and they help localize Chainlink in their communities they'll translate content, they'll host local meetups whenever we can again. Uh, and they really help bring Chainlink into you know, their local areas.
0: Speaking of, of these developers, Chainlink has a very interesting grant program. I saw this, that's kind of designed to help provide resources to developers to really build and design new tools, which I love. And I think that's one way you can certainly cultivate that relationship. From a marketing perspective, how integral are programs such as that grant program when it comes to really building brand loyalty and developing those avid users?
1: I think it's really helpful because we, you know, we want to support people building, right? Um, especially in this nascent environment. So how do we get people to build? And again, chain lengthy being open source, uh, grants are part of that, right? Many open source projects, you have grants to help get people to um, contribute to the community in different ways. Uh, and to your question of examples of the successful ones, I mean, the Acre Africa and Arwell one I mentioned, uh, they were a grant recipient to help bring this uh, parametric you know, weather insurance for farmers. Um, the grant program has done a lot to help with um, integrations with different blockchains. So Chainlink you know, uh, is on a certain blockchain and so many other blockchains, like I want Chainlink on my blockchain. And so to help speed up that process, we have Grants to to developers to help port over and build that integration as well. So we have grants for all types of different things.
0: Cool. No, that's awesome. I think and that's also going to continue to encourage more developers to come up with new use cases and you know. And I love that it remains open source. I think that's really key. You mentioned before that that Chainlink does not do a lot of paid advertising in the traditional sense, right? And you've essentially had to, like you said today a couple times, recreate the playbook when it comes to kind of your own growth tactics. Yeah. What makes blockchain such a unique challenge from that perspective? And then how has this really been different from some of the previous stops?
1: Well, yeah, I think in in any traditional um, marketing role, it's like paid advertising, right? Facebook, Google, Instagram, all of that, which we don't do really much of at all. If any, I think it's really just organic, word of mouth, community, you know, developers going out there um, when events were around, you know, events and conferences uh, to really kind of be there on the grounds with people when they're building. So yeah. So it's very different. It's like, you can't just solve a problem by throwing money at it. It's not, this, it's not that, but people don't follow you because you see an ad. It's really, it's because they resonate with your vision and your brand.
0: Yeah. It's, and especially in the developer community, where authenticity and trust is so is so important and so key, yeah. and you don't have a big window, you, you know. There's such a there, there's such a different sort of human being, and I love it. I I have several friends that are developers, and and was part of launching coding boot camps, and just so, such an affinity for the the dev world. Mm-hmm. And you really got to get that part right. You really got to build trust right, and you got to show that community that you're here for the long-term and you're providing those resources and you're giving them the opportunities to to play on the canvas, right? And create new use cases and really make an impact. Things like that seems to run through the fabric of Chainlink. If you look at the brand, it's like trust and authenticity is there. And I think that's a testament to kind of what y'all are doing.
1: Thank you, yeah.
0: No, it's awesome. What channels are you currently experimenting with? Like, which ones are kind of your go-tos?
1: Well, we have the traditional I like guess, social media channels, right? We want to be where our community is. And so whether it's Twitter, Telegram, Discord, WeChat, Kakao, like depending on the location, um, a lot of our advocates also create informal groups as well to allow people to talk about the technology and what we do in the in the channels, in the languages that they're most comfortable with.
0: Hmm. So what about... Uh, experiment. Are there anything you're experimenting with in terms of channels?
1: Uh, we're constantly experimenting with new things. I would say, uh, you know, we're starting to build out a growth marketing function. We recently built out a product marketing one. I think we're we're trying out a lot of things um, as we recreate this new playbook. Maybe backwards compared to some uh, traditional marketing organizations. Uh, but always like those puzzle pieces. Always trying to put them together and see what works.
0: Yeah. What what advice would you give to marketers in this space on how best to utilize these channels?
1: I think it depends on the stage they are at as a project or protocol or something. Because I would say when you're first starting out, one of the core key things in the space is really that community. It's so, so key to have a community because blockchain is all open source. It is about building a community around what you are trying to do. So I would say for those, like community is first. Um, and then from there, different projects have different ways. Like they, some go influencer route, some go like developer grants route, some go, some might go okay advertising route. <laughs> uh, it depends. And so then you kind of start going your own direction. But I would say most of them start out with, a really good core group of community.
0: What about just metrics and KPIs? Because I know you, you've stressed in the past that you know blockchain is so different from traditional marketing and, and the things that you're using. But what is what does success look like in the channels that you play in?
1: Mm, I think it's in a way it's similar to traditional marketing, like what kind of engagement you have, how many you know, what kind of followers you have, what is your brand reach. Um, so some of, like I think all of those, depending on what you're trying to measure. And then for us, we also care about. Because we're a developer tool, it's like you know how many developers are building with us. You know how the developers think about our documentation, the quality of it, um, things like that.
0: What do you use as your kind of dashboard to look at all those things? Do you have a tool that you use, or do you pull up various things?
1: I think we're pulling up various things, but we're building out a more comprehensive framework. I think as everyone's always trying to do. I think uh, I think Google has a new really nice dashboarding system, so I think we're testing that.
0: Cool. So there's this term. DeFi, which you hear all the time in your space, but it, you know, it deals with this idea of decentralized finance. Do you think that that finance just is finally at the point where it's ready to just continue to be fully disrupted?
1: We see a lot of disruption in the space. And if we look at it by metrics of how much money is being being spent on DeFi, I think we we see that there is definitely a lot of disruption happening, like billions and billions of dollars. I, I don't even know what's the latest now that we see
0: be astronomical, yeah, every time you check.
1: $85 billion locked as of right now, (laughs) USD in this space and only going up. Wow. So, you know, we see all different types of things in builds with it, lending protocols, yield farming, (laughs) all of these different things, Mm -hmm. Um, payments, you know. So I think it's super, super exciting.
0: So you you just released a white paper that deals with Chainlink 2.0. Can you tell us a little bit about this? Like, how does this really push DeFi forward?
1: Yeah. So we released a white paper, our first one in 2017, and it really listed out what Chainlink was going to do, like the Oracle protocol and how, you know, Chainlink functions. And we're really proud to say that we accomplished like almost like everything that we said that we set out to accomplish. Um, I think that's just the quality of what we do at Chainlink. It's like, we say something and we will do it and we achieve it. And so the white paper 2.0 released uh, was really just a, was a way to show like, this is where we're going in the next couple of years. This is where we want to be. So one of the main things that we talk about there is this concept of a hybrid smart contract. Uh, right now, a smart contract, which is an application that has you know, computer programming in it that says, if X happens, then Y will happen. Like If X, then Y will be triggered. This is you know, what powers a lot of all the DeFi. Like If you know, this price of this Asset goes to this, then Y will happen. So or like in the sense of our weather insurance, if the rainfall in this square mile is X, then you will pay out Y. And so what we're doing with this hybrid smart contract um, idea is these traditional smart contracts weren't aware of the outside world. They couldn't communicate. They didn't have information on the weather or the asset, like the value of an asset or the you know, location, GPS location of something. And so what we really want is to have a hybrid smart contract enabled by Chainlink that is both on the blockchain that communicates with everything that has all the securities and the greatness of the blockchain, and also the outside world, which is connected through Chainlink. And this hybrid smart contract, you know, we can not only connect it to your smart contract to data, but also power additional computation off-chain to allow for more privacy, you know, faster transactions. Um, whatever you need, um, especially as it comes to more complicated smart contracts or even enterprise use cases.
0: Who is the godfather or mother of hybrid smart contracts?
1: Um, I mean, that's a term that Chainlink created. Wow. Yeah.
0: I think that's, that's, all, that's also brilliant. And Ella's going to allow more folks to sit at the table and play in, yeah. that, in that space. That's, that's really cool.
1: oh um, And on the other whatever godmother, I would say, it's really the, the research team. Uh, we have a really, really smart research team uh, headed by R.E. Jules, chief scientist. He was a chief scientist, at R- R- RSA, um, huge security organization, and also professor at Cornell. So them, and we have multiple, like the whole research team dedicated to think about this. So I would give them credit.
0: That's amazing. I'm curious, you wrote an interesting piece about the future of NFTs. Mm -hmm. we've seen them explode in popularity over the last six months. What is the state of NFTs currently? Like, how do you see them growing? And then I'm curious from a marketing perspective, like what is your strategy moving forward with them?
1: Yeah, I think NFTs have been really popular because I mean, they're fun, right? They're like, they have fun names, they're like friendly. They like, who wouldn't want to own like a pudgy little penguin or like a, a rock or something. I don't know, something. I feel like, uh, however, a lot of the NFTs we find right now, uh, we think are still limited. We think there's a lot to that, but what we've been working on the NFT side is this thing called um, adding randomness to an NFT and then also adding um, connectivity to other information with MT. NFT. So for example, like NBA Top Shot, like you could add a system so that as the player wins, you know, some a different award like a rookie of the year or they make X number of shots, that NFT can dynamically change. So you can have dynamic NFTs and that's like so much cooler. So it's like having a baseball card that will grow and change over time. And that's what we think is really going to be the future of NFTs.
0: Wow. See I, I love that. That's that's exciting. You've helped author two books now. Can you tell us kind of a little bit about the inspiration behind those pieces and like what was the creative process in like writing those books?
1: Uh, yeah, I wrote a book when I was, uh, you know, when I was working in the machine learning AI space, and the book was uh, Applied Artificial Intelligence, um, and it was a handbook for business leaders on how do you use machine learning in your businesses. Uh, when the book was first published, most people in the business world didn't know, like didn't didn't really understand what machine learning was, and so we wanted to help one demystify what it was, and two help the business leaders in an organization understand the power and also the limitations of machine learning. And so that they can make smarter decisions on which initiatives to light, which one's not, and also ask the right questions of their technical team of like, hey, you know, recommendation engines, what are the differences or like things like that to help them improve their business outcomes.
0: Tell me about blockchain for good and how it can actually be used as a greater good for the world at large.
1: Well, I think sometimes, you know, with new emerging tech, technologies, people don't always understand them. And so they might just peg them to be like, oh, this is why bad or this is scary. But I think that there's so much that blockchain can do to make the world a better place. I mean, everything from helping track, you know, the supply chain of pharmaceutical medicines to make sure that they haven't been tampered with to, you know, our supply chain to make sure that, you know, it is what it says it is to, you know, this insurance that we're talking about for farmers to potentially even helping change, you know, like just taking away a lot of unnecessary inefficiencies. And I think one thing being in a developed world, you don't realize is that we take a lot of our our legal system and our contracts for granted. We think that, of course, you know, if I get into this contract and they don't pay me or they don't deliver, I can take them to court. But in a lot of parts of the world, you don't have that. You don't have that ability. You don't have that real core. And so people just don't exchange business with each other. Like a farmer, maybe in like one part of India will not, you know, work with another one unless they have that familiar relationship because they don't maybe may not trust the rule of law in their certain areas to protect their interests. But with blockchain, like you don't have to trust like a third party, you just have to trust in the, um, the technology and the cryptographic truth of what something is. And you then open up a whole level of like access to these business you know, contracts and that people didn't have before. So I just think there's so many things that the blockchain can do to really help give more economic access and fairness to people, um, regardless of where they are in the world.
0: I love that. No, I love that. And I think you know, it's it's telling those stories that are going to be really important, it, you know, especially from the Chainlink Labs perspective. It's like, you know, there's a lot of heat. There's a lot of haters all, you know, on all sides. And so you're on the you're really in this really cool space to make sure those stories are being told because yeah. there's so many of them. And the more that we begin to hear those, the more people will trust and be able to see, whoa, the impact is truly global at scale And not just, you know, in the vernacular, it's like it's really global and the things we're able to do now and will be able to do will just be even more profound. So I'm curious about does Blockchain Labs or Blockchain, like do they have plans for interoperability with other chains like Cardano?
1: Oh, uh, you mean, uh, does Chainlink? Yes. Uh, yeah. So we are already on multiple blockchains. So we are on Ethereum, on Binance Smart Chain. We're integrating you know, with um, Solana and uh, Polkadot and all these different chains. So we want to allow, you know, one, we want Chainlink to be on there. And then at our conference uh, a couple of weeks ago at SmartCon, we announced we we're creating CCIP for the overall community. It's a standard similar to what TCIP did for the internet. We really want to help create a cross chain communication protocol to allow chains to communicate whether you're on the Bitcoin or Ethereum or Cardano uh, to communicate with each other. So yes, we're moving forward there.
0: Huge. Has Ethereum's most recent upgrade, the, the London hard fork, has that caused any issues or, or what's the impact of that with, with Chainlink, Chainlink Labs?
1: No it, it, no, it doesn't really change us much.
0: Okay, okay, cool. Well, let's get into some kind of lightning round questions, if you're cool with that. Right. This is the Salesforce lightning round uh, marketing trends podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Uh, We bring marketing and engagement together. So learn more about salesforce.com slash marketing. So lightning round, what does it look like for Adeline to think? Like, just sit down and think, like, what do you do? Do you go for a walk? Do you listen to rap music? Do you, you know, sit in a quiet corner? What does it look like for Adeline to just think?
1: I like talking to people and talking it out and getting inspired. And then probably going back into my notepad and just like writing things and thinking. But I like people. I like people. <laughs> I, like people with
0: I like it. I like it. Okay. What is your biggest accomplishment?
1: I'm really proud of what we built at Chainlink. I'm really proud of the team uh, like we've created. I love my team. I hope my team loves me <laughs> and I love our community. Um, they could be crazy and wacky at sometimes, but uh, I think they're amazing, and I'm really proud to be part of it.
0: What's one thing you like to do for fun?
1: I think I just like watch Netflix and chill. I'm so like zoned out by the end. I recently watched this new show um called Superstore. I actually love it. It's like this, uh, it's kind of like the office, but in like a Walmart equivalent and the craziness of the shenanigans they do. So I would just say just bring lush TV shows.
0: You just gave me a good show. Is that on Netflix?
1: Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's great.
0: Okay, sweet. I know what I'm checking out tonight. Thank you. When it comes to marketing, what's your one non-negotiable?
1: I guess maybe for my team is they have to know who their audience is and what they're doing. Like they don't know what their goal is and who their audience is. Nothing's going to work.
0: If you weren't in marketing, what would you be doing? Mm,
1: did consider van life at one point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes, I could totally see you crushing van life, Adeline. Best advice for a first-time CMO?
1: Get an advisor who is a seasoned CMO. I
0: love that. Awesome. Cool. Well, that's all I got. This was really awesome. I mean, I I appreciate the role that you play in the field that you're playing, Adeline. So I think this is exceptional. And you know a lot of CMOs will tune into this and hear like okay well how does a CMO enter into a world that's not the most easy to understand and play uh, and win and continue to kind of build momentum so congrats and it's been an honor thank you for taking time I know you're busy as heck so thank you for being on the show
1: well thank you for having me and thank you for being so positive Jeremy